Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Virtual Church. We are glad that you are here with us. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Second Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 5 through 12 today. And as you're turning there, there's not really anything to announce this week. Uh, I do want to say thank you to those that have reached out to me and you know sent a note, have emailed, texted, called, whatever. It's, it's just really good to, to hear from you. Um, in all frankness, I, I have no desire to, um, you know, to to be the the pastor on TV or YouTube. Um, this this these videos aren't really done for the world at large. We are in this time where our congregation is a little bit separated because of the coronavirus. That there's a you know a number of people that are um, choosing to, to to stay home for safety, and so. Uh, these videos are being made for you. These videos are being made for those that consider Grace Point Church their home, and uh, not just for strangers. And so, it, it's it helps me when I come in here to preach in the sanctuary to to an empty room and and this little video camera in front of me to to know who is out there and to hear from you all. It it really does help keep it personable for me because we're now at nine months and it's easy, you know, out of sight, out of mind is what they say. And so I'm asking you to please not be out of sight, uh, not be out of communication. Um, And so when you do respond and let me know that you're out there and how you're doing, it it means the world to me and it helps me immensely just in this setting. And so with that, let's pray. And we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1, verses 5 through 12. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We are grateful, Lord, for all that you're doing in our midst. Lord, as we open up Second Thessalonians and we continue our way through here, Father, we do ask that you would uh, help us to make sense of this letter. Father, we know that these believers were experiencing much, much persecution and affliction, and, and there was some false teaching about the, the, the return of Christ. And today's section is particularly difficult, Lord, uh, from a politically correct sort of uh, perspective. It's difficult for us, Lord, to uh, to fully comprehend what is being said here. Um, and so, Father, we pray that you would open up the minds of our or the, the, the minds of our hearts, Lord. Just help us to to have the faith to see and to understand, Lord. Give me the the ability to communicate. Uh, what the scripture is saying, Lord, ultimately that we would um, be able to rest in you and trust, Lord, whatever we're going through, whatever suffering that we're experiencing, uh, that we would be able to trust that you are bigger and greater than whatever it is that we're facing, and that we would know that you are working all things together for good in our life to mold us, to shape us, to make us into Christ's image. We pray, Father, that you would strengthen our faith and encourage us. And it's in Jesus's good name we pray. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and read Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. 
when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from his and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed to this end always also we pray for you always that our god will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would lead us now. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so we know that this letter is written to a, a church that is very much suffering. They are very much um, longing for Jesus's return. Um, so much of this letter is Paul trying to help them have a, a bigger picture of their suffering and to to have hope at God's ultimate plan. Uh, one of the questions that I've often sort of wrestled with, I, I think that many of us have re- wrestled with this sort of, as you look at the church and Christianity at large, uh, Christianity in its purest form from the scriptures follows Jesus who taught that the two most important things that an individual can do in this life are to love God and to love others. And why is it that this is so offensive to the world? Why is it that people are persecuted who have given their lives to Jesus as we seek to follow him and to lead quiet lives that honor God? Why is it that the world is so offended and and, and so taken back by this? I don't know that I have the answer to that, but I do believe that Paul in this section is trying to give us perspective on our afflictions and suffering and the difficulty that we go through. Um, I would suggest just in this life and also specifically for persecution and affliction that's received for following after Jesus. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his his well-known book, The Problem of Pain, he says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains, his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so often the lessons that we learn in the midst of suffering are the most powerful ones or the ones that stick and truly uh, refine us and make us into Christ's image. And so verse 5, we begin, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you indeed are suffering. And so he starts with this word, this. What's this referring to? You would have to go back to verse 4, just the previous sentence. And in there, he's talking about all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. And so the this, this means afflictions and persecutions. So the afflictions and persecutions are a plain indication of God's righteous judgment. Huh, that seems confusing. Paul's saying that the the afflictions and the persecutions that they're going through is sort of an indication of God's righteous judgment. 
so that you'll be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you indeed are suffering. And so the, the very first thing I want to point out on, on this is uh, Charles Swindoll in, in, in his commentary, he writes, commentators have long scratched their heads on this one. This, this is kind of, eh, what's he talking about? The Life Application Bible Commentary says this, the word judgment should be understood as God's righteous decision to allow suffering in this world to sanctify, which means to set apart his people. God has chosen to build his people's character through the difficulties they experience during their lives in this evil world. Uh, the translation J.B. Phillips, he takes these few verses and he writes it this way. It's really good. It sort of uh, breaks it out in a, in a very user-friendly way. He says, these qualities show how justly the judgment of God works out in your case. Without doubt, he intends to use your suffering to make you worthy of his kingdom. Yet his justice will one day repay trouble to those who have troubled you and peace to all of us who, like you, have suffered. And so the very beginning there, I, I enjoy the, 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 how justly the judgment of God works itself out. And so they might be suffering and thinking, well, this isn't fair. What did I do to deserve this? And so when we have a, a, a view of God and his sovereignty and his greatness and understanding that nothing slips by him, so that we can rest and to know that whatever we're going through, uh, we can accept it as his plan. And we can give thanks to him for that. And we can sort of uh, lean into it and, and allow it to do its work. Uh, we may not like this reality, but it's what the Bible sort of uh, paints and, and describes about suffering, that suffering isn't to be wasted in our life. So often we just want to get out from under difficulties and suffering, and we want to push back and, and resist against it. But the Bible talks about suffering as being this tool that God uses to refine us into his image. And it's really, uh, in, in large part, suffering is what God uses in the process of discipling, uh, discipling us or discipleship. And so suffering, to quote from Elizabeth Elliot's book, which I've read, uh, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, that suffering is never for nothing. God is using it, and he will use our suffering as he did theirs. Going on to verse 6, we read, For after all, it is only right for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And so as he addresses the Thessalonians who are facing this persecution, they're beat down, they're broken, they're they're really they're struggling, and they're struggling because their their friends, their relatives, their neighbors, their families have now cut them out of their society, and they have then begun to inflict them with this affliction, persecution, judgment, harshness, beatings, uh, d really harsh difficulties. And so, Paul says to them, "It is only right for God to afflict them." in the same manner that they are afflicting you. Sort of a, a fighting fire with, with fire. God will dish out the ultimate justice. They can have hope. They can trust that God will have his way. They don't need to, to push back. They don't need to take their own vengeance. His timing may feel slow. 
It may, it may seem like that these people that are doing so much harm to them and to you will never give an account. And Paul is reminding them that these scales will be reconciled, that justice will happen. It reminds me of Romans uh, twelve nineteen. In this section, a little bit before that, I believe, it says, uh, uh, so much as it depends on you to be at peace with all people. And then sometimes you're not going to be able to be at peace with all people. And in Romans twelve nineteen, he says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so Paul there says that, hey, when you're when you're when wrong is being done to you, kind of leave space. Don't don't go ahead and take vengeance. Rightly, you could take vengeance, but he's saying leave room because God's vengeance is better. Leave room for the wrath of God. If you follow this thought out, we'll see that uh, what what he describes is is the use of government in God's plan. The only thing I see in Scripture for government, our government has been so, like just around the world has been so, it has so departed from God's design, and God is the one who invented and created and gave us government for good, is we're told that uh, the authorities over us have been placed there to uh, to, to restrain evil, to give judgment, and it, it says in Romans thirteen four that the the authorities, uh, like it says, if you if you don't want any harm from the authorities, don't do evil, and it says the authorities don't uh, bear the sword in vain, and so it says that they they have been established to basically be the wrath of God, and so we're to leave room for the wrath of God. In, in earthly matters, if a crime has been done against you, we're not to take out our own vengeance. We're to, in, a, in a, an ideal setting, the government would come in and that justice would be handled. It's not always in today's uh, society, especially in California. It's, uh, there's a lot that could be said, but that would be departing. In this section, in Thessalonians, we're, we're looking at e- the eternal matters that God will ultimately uh, give justice. Justice will be handed out. You might not see it in this life, but it will be handled out, and you can have relief in knowing that God is in control. Verse 7, he goes on to saying, to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us. In my Bible, uh, Thessalonians, it's not one of these books that was really marked up before in Second Thessalonians, but I had I've highlighted this. I don't remember when I did it, but this whole section about the return of Christ, but in the midst of this, he talks about that that, that there's going to be relief given to you. This idea of don't lose hope in the midst of your circumstances. Uh, Relief is coming or rest or relaxation are ways that you could translate that word. Uh, Have patience and, and know that whatever you're going through, that God is working and he's doing something in your midst. Um, in the midst of your suffering, know that relief will come and that ultimately God will care for you. As he, as he speaks on this, he's going he's gonna to tr- transition, speaking of relief from the affliction that the followers of Christ are experiencing. Then he's going to shift over to those individuals who are going against them and, and dishing out the affliction upon them. And so he's going to go from the affliction uh, relief from the affliction that's coming to those who are suffering, but then he's going to say real affliction is going to be brought about to those who are doing the affliction. 
Midway through verse 7, it says, When the Lord Jesus will be, will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These people will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and, uh, and from the glory of his power. And so right away, it begins with the word when. This is something that's yet future. It was, it was future at Paul's writing. I believe it's still future during our time. Uh, that, that in the future, Jesus is going to return. The, the theme of First Thessalonians is affliction and advent, sort of dealing with the return of Christ. As we get into Second Thessalonians, there's going to be more uh, affliction is certainly there, but the focus is going to be on the advent of Christ, the day of the Lord and his return. And he says that in this day, this advent, Jesus is going to appear. He's going to be revealed from heaven, uh, surrounded by angels, and there's, there's going to be fire there. And then we're told that what's going to happen is that he's going to be dealing out retribution to sort of these two groups or one group. It's hard to Hard to say. It says in the first group, to those that do not know God. And so to these individuals that don't know God, this very harsh reality is going to come upon them. It's a, it's a reminder and a motivation for us that as long as we are here on this earth, as followers of Christ, we have been commissioned to be his ambassadors and to share the good news, to share the gospel that Jesus died for you and for all, uh, that he suffered on the cross to absorb the wrath of God and that there's forgiveness available in him. And it comes by God's grace, not by your works, uh, not by anything that you do. It's a gift that is received. And so we're told that, that there are there to those that don't know God, that should motivate us to share the gospel. And to those who do not know who do not obey, um, do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. This is a, a sobering. I don't believe in uh, uh, losing your salvation. I believe in the assurance of salvation. But part of our assurance is that uh, our, our faith manifests itself and we, we live out the calling that we've been called to. And here we're told this, the one group, those that don't know God, and those that don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, that, that, that there's some, some serious wrath is going to come their way. I think there's a, this is a motivation to those of us that know Jesus to be reminded of God's character. In 2 Peter 3, 9, uh, or really in 2 Peter chapter 3, it begins sort of there. Their, Peter's addressing those that were sort of teasing the Christians, like, hey, I thought Jesus was coming back, and where's all this wrath, and where's all this stuff? And Peter basically says by Second Peter three nine, don't 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 consider this like that God has given up that that this slowness you might feel it slow, but he points them to God's character that God is patient towards humanity that He desires all individuals to come to to saving knowledge of Him, and so He withholds His wrath. He's patient because He longs for individuals. He wants to give them every last moment. Uh, to, to respond and to believe so that they would have eternal life. And I'm grateful that he's been patient with me, and I'm grateful that he's patient with you. He goes on to say in verse 10, well, before I move on, 
So let's look at the destruction. Let's look at the fire and brimstone, right? Uh, verse 9, these people will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Eternal, it's an everlasting hell. Um, away from the presence of God and from the glory of his power. So there's separation. This, this is what hell is, to be separated from God uh, eternally. And there's no worse form of punishment. Verse 10, he goes on to say, when he comes to be glorified among his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. And so again, future, when this happens, he will be glorified among his saints on that day. And so there's this picture of the, the gathering of those who have placed their faith in Christ. I don't know if this is referring back to First Thessalonians chapter 4, that last little section there with the, the rapture uh, preceding the day of the Lord. I, I sort of think so, that this will be sort of visual, that people will be able to see this that he will be there and he'll be glorified among his saints. So he'll be glorified amongst his saints, but then he'll also be marveled at among those who have believed. So those who have placed their faith in Christ, if, if I am there on that day, um, I, that, that we will be in awe of, of what we are seeing and what we are participating in. And then in the very last little phrase here, it's sort of like a parenthetical statement. Paul sort of comments because our testimony. So Paul, think of the hardship he went through in Thessalonica. He, he went and he shared his testimony. He shared about Jesus and they responded and they believed. It's almost like a, an encouragement to them, an encouragement to Paul, thinking about the ministry that he had with them, that what he did there and their suffering and their persecution, this wasn't in vain. And your faithfulness and your obedience and your following after Christ is not vain. God will bless you and and reward you for your faithfulness to him. Verse 11, we we turn the corner. So verses 6, 5 through 10 are are sort of one section that he's he's describing all, all of these things. And then in verse 11, through 12, there's sort of the the purpose that that Paul is desiring or what Paul is doing in light of this reality. In verse 11, we read, to this end, also, we pray for you always. So we see that Paul loves them and his separation from them. He prays for them always, consistently. Uh, Also, in this format, you guys communicating with me and sharing with me and and, and touching base, it helps me to be praying for you as, as, as your pastor. He, he's praying for them always, and what he prays is that, he's praying that God will consider you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. And so that God, first off, his prayer is that God would consider them worthy of their calling. When I read that, it reminds me of Ephesians chapter 4. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, we read, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And so he is exhorting them at this point to live their lives in a manner that's pleasing to God. If you're not familiar with Ephesians, it's one of my favorite letters of the Bible. 
the first three chapters are doctrine heavy sort of truths about God and us and our position and and very doctrinally orientated and then chapter 4 as he as he shifts over to the other half chapters 4 through 5 are very practical in nature the outworking of these doctrinal truths and so he begins that section with that he's pleading with them to walk worthy, in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. And then those three chapters, he unpacks that. And so we, we deal with how we think, our jokes, how we communicate, our, our workplace, our, our parents, our children, um, like our marriages, how we go about everywhere in, in our daily lives. Um, it's meddling at its finest where God really, it's so convicting and so good and it really is sharing practically what does it mean uh, to, to walk in a manner that's worthy of your calling. And this is what, what Paul is praying, that God would work in them, that they would live out their faith and that they would honor God in, in their lives, that, um, that he would fulfill every desire for goodness. And do you desire goodness? Or do you want goodness in your heart, in your mind, in, in your family? And so there's this prayer for goodness and that they would uh, work out their faith with power. It's beautiful. Verse 12, so that ultimately the, the purpose of living out this this calling to, to live in this manner so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him in accordance with the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, that the way we live out our lives would bring glory to God, that it would uh, be a blessing to his name, that when the wor- world hears the name Jesus or they see us, they think highly of him. Our lives matter. How we live out our lives, how we endure suffering, how we endure blessing, are we bringing glory to Jesus? Is he being glorified in us? Ultimately, this only happens through the grace of God. In the beginning, I brought up the the quote from C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain. And I want to read it again. God whispers us, whispers to us in our pleasures. So when life is going well, it's hard to hear his voice. He speaks in our conscience. We can hear his voice through our consciences. We can sense his leading. But shouts in our pain. So when difficulties come, this is when we really are attuned to what God is saying and sharing to us. He says, In our pains, it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so when we go through suffering, we can hear God all the more clearly. And I do think last year was a, a wonderful year, a wonderful example. Um, of God working through difficulties, through afflictions, that we would tune into him and that we would walk closely with him. I am grateful for what God has done in our church through 2020, that we, um, I do truly believe our church is more on fire for him, is more streamlined, is, is more focused, 
that uh, the, the, the main things are the main things and, and we are just united as a body. And so I'm grateful for that. I also re- referenced Elizabeth Elliot's book a couple weeks ago. Anna told me that I really, Anna and Grace were like, you need to read. Uh, Suffering is Never for Nothing. I'd encourage you to, to get the book and to, to read it. It was recently published. She's been dead for a while. But what, where this book came from is she gave a, a lecture. It was like a four-part lecture. And after her death, they, they converted it to a book. And I, I have a couple quotes that I'd like to read from this, one now and one a little bit later. And in her book, Elizabeth, Suffering is Never for Nothing, she says this, There have been some hard things in my life, of course, as there have been in yours. And I cannot say to you, I know exactly what you're going through, but I can say that I know the one who knows. And I've come to see that it's through the deepest suffering that God has taught me the deepest lessons. And if we'll trust him for it, we can come through the unshakable assurance that he's in charge. He has a loving purpose and he can transform something terrible into something wonderful. Suffering is never for nothing. Last week I shared that one of the things that I've sort of concluded going into the new year as I reflect upon last year and this year, that one of the things I've sort of vowed to do, we'll see how it goes, is that I'm not going to worry about things that I can't control. Many of the things that I can't control are found in the news. And so I've said I'm not going to really watch the TV. I'm not going to watch news. I'll, I'll take in my news through reading. I have a couple of things that like I'll read. Um, I can't control many, many things in my life. But I, I, And so what I can't control, I, I can control what's put into me. And I'm not going to put negative things into me. And sometimes that means media, like social media, TV. I'm going to withhold certain things so that my mind doesn't have those things within me. And I'm going to fill the void with good things. Um, like The Bible app has been wonderful, reading through the Chronological Bible this year with, with a mini from our church, uh, to be in the, the Word of God, to spend time with my family undistracted, to you know, focus on our congregation, um, to really uh, focus on God. My prayer is to trust God more this year that I would learn from the lessons that I learned last year so that this year, whatever comes my way, I would be able to, to focus on him and give him thanks. In this section, there are two things that are, that are sobering. The first is, do you know God? Have you encountered the living Christ? Have you given your life to him and received salvation through God's grace by your faith? Have you received Christ as your Savior? There's a dire warning for those that don't know Jesus as their Savior. To those of us who know him, I think that there's a warning or at least a, a, a conviction for us to, to, that if we say we know him, that we would actually apply and live out his commands in our life, that, 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 our, that we would walk the walk, that we wouldn't just be talk, we wouldn't just do our hour on, of church on Sunday, but that we would really allow the gospel to, to grab root in our hearts and that we would live it out. 
I want to close with a, a final tip from Elizabeth Elliot, which I thought was quite good in her book, Suffering is Never for Nothing. She says, just start thanking God in advance because no matter what is about to happen, you already know that God is in charge. You are not adrift in a sea of chaos. What would your day look like if you started out just thanking God for everything that's going to come your way? You go a little bit, your car gets a flat tire, and you say, oh, I already thank God for this. This just doesn't happen, Chance, that God has something in the midst of this for me. Maybe it's that, I don't know, he wants you to do some manual labor. Maybe he wants you to have a conversation with the AAA guy that's going to come help you change your tire, whatever it is. That if we would start our days, how would our weeks go? How would the year go if we just every day woke up and thanked God for whatever was about to cross our path that day? I think our lives would look pretty radical. I think that we would uh, give an amazing testimony uh, to our Lord and Savior if we could go about our days like this. It would show that we have this eternal perspective, that we have a God that is greater than anything that we can experience or go through. And so my prayer is that you would live your life in this way, that I would live my life in this way. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in our life. We ask that you would lead us and guide us. Uh, May we honor you in our lives. Father, we pray for those that maybe aren't unsure about if they know Jesus or not. And I pray, Father, that you would reveal to them yourself, that you would show them the gospel, that Jesus loves them, that he died for them, that he rose from the grave, and that he offers this relationship to them by grace. There's nothing that can be done to earn it. And Father, once we've received your grace and this new relationship with you in Christ, you have called us to live out our lives in a certain way that you have prepared works for us to do. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling by which you've called us. We pray, Father, that you would help us to trust in you in the midst of any sort of afflictions or suffering that we're going through. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, well, it's been super good seeing you this week. I look forward to hearing from you. Please email, text me, call. However, um, just check in with me so that I I can keep you in my, my prayers and thinking. And so I really do look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great week. God bless you.